0: Welcome to Season 2 of Startup Happy Hour. Grab a drink and join us to hear how startup founders and visionaries are using their bright ideas and cutting-edge technologies to make a positive impact in our communities and help shape our future. These conversations will inspire you and show you how you, too, can turn your new and exciting ideas into reality. Before we begin, I just want to tell you about the sponsor for this episode, Content Allies. Content Allies helps B2B tech companies build and run revenue-generating podcasts. They set you up with weekly interviews with your ideal prospects and strategic partners. All you have to do is show up and have engaging conversations, and they'll handle everything else. Learn more about launching your podcast at contentallies.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Startup Happy Hour. I'm your host, Diana Chen, and I'm here today with our guest, Brian Flynn. Brian is the co-founder at Rabbit Hole, uh, which is a company that lets you earn crypto by learning how to use the latest and most popular crypto apps. Welcome, Brian.
1: Thanks for having me, Diana. Great to be here.
0: Thanks so much for being here. So I'm going to start off and just let you talk a little bit more about Rabbit Hole because I'm sure I didn't do it much justice. And I know you're still in sort of the early-ish stages, having founded the company in late 2020. So go ahead and give us a background on what Rabbit Hole is.
1: Yeah, for sure. So my quick background is I used to work at Dapper Labs and I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to bring crypto mainstream. And one of the biggest questions that a lot of people have when first enter crypto is like, what can I actually do with it besides trade and make money? And something that we have discovered is that the UX of, of crypto applications are really bad, but if there was more of a visual guide to guide people down the crypto rabbit hole, then there'd be potentially more uh, users in the crypto sphere as a whole. So what we've done is we've kind of broken up uh, crypto applications down into tasks. And these tasks are, are sort of the building blocks that people are gonna be using to enter the crypto economy, right? So if there's lending applications or NFT applications, we kind of break those down into the, to the basic tasks for users to complete and earn tokens for completing those things. So we're basically creating a treasure map, essentially, for people to go down the crypto rabbit hole and earn first crypto for doing so.
0: Okay, so for people who don't come from a crypto background, can you explain what some of these tasks are? Just give an example of some of these and then how a user would go about completing them.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. So first you need a, a crypto wallet, which is sort of your, your gateway to crypto applications. And you can you can get one on, on iOS, you get one as a Chrome extension, we can provide those in the notes. But it, the basics is you use this wallet to then you go to these different applications that are on the rabbit hole website. And they can be things of like, you know, different DeFi lending applications, which is decentralized finance or, or NFTs, which is digital collectibles. And they can be as simple as, you know, buy and sell all these NFTs for the first time. It can be as simple as take out a loan. That can be as borrow money. Right. But the, the interesting thing about crypto applications is that they're very playful. Some people see it as sort of like a scary and permanent thing, but they're actually more playful in some cases. So what we want to do is we want to separate kind of the signal from the noise and show the applications that are, are a lot useful to the crypto consumer. And that's really what we're trying to do here, just curate the highest quality crypto applications across decentralized finance and NFTs and digital collectibles and show what you can actually do with these things while earning a part of it.
0: Got it. Got it. Very cool. So taking back to when you were at Dapper Labs, for listeners who aren't familiar with Dapper Labs, talk about what that is and then sort of like how you got into this whole space in the first place.
1: Yeah, for sure. So I'll start. My high school background, I was actually a professional gamer and I, I was a gamer for about uh, three to four years uh, playing Counter Strike and traveling across the country. And so I eventually decided to get into startups that I wanted to be stuck in my room for the rest of my life playing games. And so uh, the, the concept of, of crypto uh, always came up in gaming, especially when trading things like Counter Strike skins, being able to make money from just your gameplay as a whole. And in 2018, was was kind of at the early stages of CryptoKitties. And NFTs or digital collectibles was sort of the first thing that kind of really struck out to me as sort of like one of the first core use cases of crypto that actually made sense. And what I started doing was I started a newsletter just covering like what's going on with NFTs because nobody was really talking about it at the time. And it's kind of ironic because now you can't go a day without a big celebrity talking about NFTs and collectibles. But at the time, you know, there was nobody talking about it. And so I was just writing about like kind of the crazy use cases going on, you know, people doing things like, you know, patronage with, with NFTs, so being able to sell NFTs for environmental impacts, which is even a hot topic in NFTs today. Things of like, you know, being able to have like a World Cup bracket as an NFT was an interesting one. Being able to have uh, digital avatar items as NFTs, right? These were things that were like sort of interesting at the time, but sort of maybe even even ahead of its time. But like these things were, were kind of like leading up to this much larger movement. And just through writing that newsletter, I got a good, pretty good grasp of like what's going on in the space. And that led me to getting my job at Dapper. And so I was kind of like the, in, the in-house resident expert on, on NFT per se, is what they like to say. And just helping them on the product side of things, just uh, work on different products like CryptoKitties and their new blockchain called Flow. That really led me down the path of just kind of discovering, you know, what crypto users actually wanted and why they even should care in the first place.
0: Did you come from a background of being interested in startups and entrepreneurship? Or did you creating Rabbit Hole kind of just come out, come about as a result of your passion for the space and, you know, having worked in the space and seen the gaps and different ways where you could fill in, you were like, well, I'll step up to the seat and found a company.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I, I created a, a startup back back in college, but it didn't really go anywhere. And I tried building it on uh, Ethereum back in 2016. But really what struck the, the biggest part of me is just creating a newsletter, right? So like, I, I think in, in the last couple of years, like a lot of media businesses are becoming more like entrepreneurial as, as a result of like things becoming more independent. And the, the concept of like using crypto in the context of media business is like really interesting. It's a, also a hot topic today. So what I wanted to base my newsletter off of in 2018 was like, how does a independent media creator go from kind of this this media in the Web two world to kind of the Web three world in this different transition, right? And so like one thing that I did specifically it was it's this kind of like the basic rabbit hole was I started selling my newsletter articles as NFTs um, back in 2018. And and so the the concept was that people could actually invest in me through buying my NFTs back in 2018, right? Because then it's like the equivalent of buying, you know, Rolling Stone magazine issues before they become popular, right? And how cool would it be if you can actually own one of Rolling Stone magazine issues before they blew up, right? that, you know, decades ago. And it's funny because one of those newsletter articles just sold for $80,000 last week at the time, you know, I was selling them for, you know, like 20, dollars $20, $30 per issue.
0: That's um, awesome. Congrats.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it goes all to the artists as they go to me, but it, it's great. It's great to support, you know, kind of the digital artists who kind of are just leading this big NFT, NFT movement as a whole, right? But it, it's interesting because now that these media creators are now, you know, using these building blocks and crypto like NFTs to create their own digital economies, right? And that's what that's I gets really gets me excited about crypto possibilities, but even kind of led me down in you know, a quote unquote rabbit hole of like what's possible for people to explore this technology and to get involved.
0: Sure. So a couple of things here, maybe we should have taken a step back and um, explain what NFTs are for listeners who aren't familiar with that. And then people who are listening and they're like, OK, so it kind of sounds like a Patreon account, right? Like you can support your favorite artist by donating to their Patreon account. Like how is how are NFTs different from a Patreon account, for instance?
1: Yeah. So the, the difference is that so NFTs are a digital collectible without a platform, right, is the way I like to describe it. Right. So in the context of, of patreon you're dependent upon patreon to have all the different features for you to kind of support to support the artist right or support the creator and if patreon goes away then you no longer have a means of, of making money right because that's, that's kind of your gateway to your fans of supporting you and there's even a limit to that in some cases right you have to have be in a certain geographic you have to use the same currency right you can only pay in a certain amount of ways. But with, with NFTs, uh, it's a little bit more interesting because you could use any type of crypto that you want from anywhere in the world, and there's no limit to it, right? And you could actually have ownership in the brand and the creator itself, right? In, in the Patreon model, there's no sense of ownership of what you can have a creator. It's just straight donation model, right? So while it may seem like that N- N- NFTs right now are, are sort of like this, this digital collectible, it's sort of a way of investing in a creator or a media brand because it's getting this digital item that represents this affiliation between the fan and the creator, right, in some cases. And so I think, you know, in a simple way of describing NFTs, it's just a, a digital collectible with patronage that doesn't have a platform. And so if, if people believe that, you know, their digital life is valuable and will even get more valuable in the next few decades, um, then we will treasure what we have in our digital life, right? We, we treasure like our physical items in our physical life we will now treasure our digital items, our digital life. And so it just comes back to ownership at the end of the day. Ownership is really what matters with NFTs.
0: For sure. Yeah, I totally get that. So for people listening who you know maybe have been hearing about NFTs and all the big NFTs that have been selling, like the Beeple artwork that sold for $6.6 6 million, and they're wondering, well, why would I pay $6 million to download a JPEG? you know like what what is the value behind that and i think like a lot of people are still stuck in the traditional way of thinking of like well art has to be physical art i have to be able to see it i have to be able to touch it otherwise it's it doesn't have the same value and so if i download a an image from online or you know of a clip of nba top shots or whatever the the cases like that's just not valuable to me so i think there i think there is this just like mindset block where we're still stuck in this old way of thinking maybe can you talk about Talk about like how to change that shift in mindset and why maybe virtual art or virtual assets can be better than traditional physical assets
1: yeah, totally. the way I, I think about it is that like our our digital life is is almost just beginning and it, it started with, with when the first block was actually mined on you know Bitcoin or ethereum, right in previous web two platforms you don't actually own your stuff, right? You don't own your Instagram photos. You don't own your data on Facebook, right? If those platforms go away, you don't really have ownership in it, right? Well, what blockchains actually do and the NFTs actually do is you now have ownership of your stuff. And what that actually means is that, you know, 50, 60 years from now, right, you'll still have ownership of your stuff as long as you have, you know, your keys to your crypto wallet. And that's interesting because, you know, the stuff that is being created today is gonna have a lot of sentimental value to people way down the road, right? It's kind of like, you know, year one of, of digital life, like as we kind of know it in some cases, right? And so we'll look back and like, it'll seem so archaic and that we now like have this concept of like digital ownership that kind of seems so weird to us right now, but it'll seem normal to us in like a few decades. And so that's why that there's being placed a lot of value to like NFTs right now. Because everyone is sort of betting on this digital life in the future, right? And having NFTs in their early days is, is going to be seen as as a hopping in, in a couple of decades.
0: Yeah, for sure. And you brought up something interesting there, too, is the social platforms we're on right now, Facebook, Instagram, they're centralized platforms that collect data from us and we don't have true ownership on those platforms. So if I create an Instagram post, I, you know, spend a lot of time and effort taking these awesome photos and spend a lot of time and effort writing up these captions. spend a lot of time and effort building up a following, none of that actually belongs to me. And I know this is something that you've been thinking about lately is decentralized social platforms. And so talk a little bit more about that. Like what would a social media platform look like on the decentralized web? I think that's so hard for people to even conceptualize. So if you can try to describe that.
1: You know, one thing that's interesting with like social media platforms today is that when there's a new platform that comes out the creators spend a lot of time trying to build their following. And it's sort of like a race in the beginning to kind of build that following, right? They have to kind of learn an entire new game. And they spend a lot of time trying to like bring their existing followers to the new platform as well, which is hard for a lot of creators, right? But with with blockchain and crypto and even, even NFTs, it, it, it traveled, the, the social graphs now travel with you, right? You're, you're able to bring it from one platform to another. So if I have an NFT and give it to you, now that our relationship with each other can now be traversable across different platforms because that's living on chain in some context in a public blockchain, right? Now, anyone can build a relationship Right, representing that, like, I have the NFT gave it to you where you're the owner of that NFT. And that is like our new on-chain social graph that's completely platform agnostic. Right. So you can imagine, you know, like a YouTube creator like Mr. Bees, like giving away tokens to all his fans, right? And now you have this on-chain social graph that's entirely platform agnostic, that anyone can kind of build an uh, entire interface around Mr. Beast and his fan, like using that representation on-chain. And so I think we'll see all these different types of decentralized social networks evolve over the next, you know, 10, 20 years or so. That's not tied to a single platform or interface. Like we know how like YouTube or Facebook or Instagram are today, but much more independent platforms, you know, potentially even created by the creators themselves that have their their fan and and create relationship living together in in, in their own platform.
0: So there's obviously a lot of pros to that instead of, you know, trying to grow a following on Twitter, a separate following on Instagram, a separate following on YouTube. You kind of have all of your following collected together. Like if somebody follows you, they just follow you and they see your videos, your photos, your blog posts, all of all of these things. But will that also make it harder for creators to get followers because you know like now you can if you're on instagram you can go and go to the discover tab and discover all these new people and maybe you find people to follow that way like what is this going to look like practically is what i'm thinking for you know somebody who's like an an instagram influencer for for example
1: it's, it's a good question i mean i, I think the, the first thing to note is that we're we're going to look back in 10 years and just see that the concept of a like or even a follow is like antiquated and that like those things probably won't be around in five, 10 years, right? It will just all be around the concept of tokens, right? So like the the, the giving tokens is sort of the new follow, right? Or, or uh, bidding on some NFT is the new like in some capacity, right? Because those are on chain relationships between the creator and the, and the fan in itself. And so I think that a lot of these creators on Instagram and YouTube are just gonna be giving away tokens to their fans as a way of, you know, giving ownership in themselves, right? Because then if you're someone who's completely new and want to get dis- discovered, right, you want to give away some tokens of yourself as a way for someone to invest in you, right, and have financial upside like in, in that community in itself. And, and that's going to be the most interesting thing at the time when there's just you know so many different communities and so many different social tokens where, where people are just giving away uh, you know ownership in themselves and in their communities. And everyone basically becomes an investor uh, in these creators. So the, the fan and the investor relationship is becoming closely tied together.
0: Got it. Got it. Yeah, I I think this is we're like such early days right now. It's like talking about the Internet back in like the 80s, right? It's just hard to even wrap your mind around it. But I'm sure in 20 years, we'll look back and just laugh at this conversation that we're having. So let's go back to rabbit hole. The whole idea is to onboard people on a crypto and blockchain and find fun and easy ways for them to get onboarded. So for somebody who hasn't joined the space yet, but is curious after listening to this conversation, what are. I guess some of the most important areas that they should go research. And then if you can point them in the direction of any resources that you find to be super helpful, that'd be great.
1: So the the first thing I talked about earlier was a crypto wallet. In Having a crypto wallet is sort of your your gateway or your tool into the world of Web3 or crypto. And it it, it does a lot of things, right? It's not just where you hold your digital stuff, but it's also your identity in, in this life, right? So you no longer need a username and a password, you just need, you know, to connect your wallet to these different applications, and they won't know your public key, which is your new address. So this is a really important concept, because now as you start to, you know, have account history and do certain transactions, these applications, like you're building up like your own reputation, right? You're building up this own. Like social graph and some cases that we're kind of mentioning before. So doing that, you can then access all these different types of applications, like like DeFi, decentralized finance. So things like lending, borrowing money, swapping for millions of different tokens on decentralized exchanges, all these smart contracts, and then this world of NFTs as well. Right, where creators are issuing their own NFTs, and I think you'll start to see that these pieces become intertwined very closely, like NFTs and decentralized finance with. NFTs are sort of the, the the biggest application people enter crypto through, just being able to own these like digital items and then decentralized finance basically being the, the back end or, or the finance rails of what these NFTs live on, right? So like, for example, being able to get a loan based upon like what NFTs you own is a big thing that people are working on right now or being able just to point off your NFTs to anyone that wants to buy it at a specific price. Like these are these are the types of primitives and combinations that we'll see going forward where we have an entirely new financial system built on top of this digital stuff.
0: Got it. Okay, so crypto wallet and then NFTs. Can you walk us through the process of minting an NFT if anybody's listening out there who's an artist or a creator and they're thinking about minting their own NFT? How complicated of a process is this and, you know, how, how do they get started with doing that?
1: So the easiest way is to go to uh, OpenSea right now, which is a digital uh, collectible NFT marketplace. They have this feature called lazy minting, which is able to mint your NFTs for free. So whenever you have to mint an NFT, you usually have to pay gas. But with OpenSea, you don't have to pay gas because they do it. They put the gas on the side of uh, the buyer in some cases, right? Uh, so you can go to OpenSea, you can mint an NFT. You you choose which image you want representing as. Uh, the digital collectible image and then you can just have it you can set whatever price you want you can have it as an auction right but then you can you know sell it to your fans you can create your own little digital economy uh, of your nfts itself. there are other platforms you can your nfts like bulls or super rare uh, i think all of them have their own trade-offs so it definitely depends on like, what the creator or the nft minter is looking to do
0: Yeah, we've seen so many different types of NFTs already. We've seen art is the most popular. We've seen video clips like from NBA Top Shots. We've seen artists give away NFTs, you know, that represent tokens that represent a variety of different things. It could represent a new album that they're putting out or it could represent, you know, the ability to, to go to live shows or get backstage passes or whatever the case may be. What are some other applications of NFTs that you could see in the future or... On the flip side, are there any industries where, you know, you don't see it possible turning that into an NFT?
1: I think the biggest opportunity for NFTs that's like still just emerging is ticketing, actually. Ticketing in itself is interesting because there's a, you know, there's like a huge black market and fraud for tickets to concerts um, as a whole. And when you have uh, tickets as NFTs, it's much easier to prove the uniqueness of an interval ticket and like, what the seat number is and, and who owns that, right? And it can even be used as another digital form of, a digital collectible for that piece of of that concert or that show, right? And and the other interesting thing about like NFTs in in relation to tickets is that you can have secondary royalties when you sell the tickets themselves, right? So the tickets can now be traded between, you know, different bands or people attending a concert and the concert creator can now, you know, reap the benefits of those royalties on resale on the secondary market. And that's all provable on chain in some some context. So I think you'll even see that a lot of creators who are minting their own NFTs right now, use their own NFTs that they're creating for a means of access. So that because NFTs are now programmable building blocks, you can create your own locked websites where you need to have the creator's NFT to access the creator's content, right? So even in the context of like an OnlyFans, right? Like now the OnlyFans can only exist if you have that creators NFT and have access the only fans. And you'll see that as a popular model, like the whole concept of owning an NFT to get access to something, whether it's, you know, a physical concert or a digital concert really start to take off in the next six to 12 months because it's actually giving these digital collectibles utility value as opposed to just collectible value in itself.
0: Got it. And I'm glad you brought up OnlyFans, because I was going to ask something about that earlier when you said, you know, one of the benefits of NFTs or decentralization is everything is recorded on chain. And so you can see a record of all of these transactions. But in some cases, maybe you don't want to leave a trail or, you know, publicly announce that you're buying an NFT, like, if you want to buy an OnlyFans NFT or, you know, something similar to that, and maybe you don't want every all your friends seeing that you're buying this NFT, is there a way to buy NFTs anonymously?
1: You're thinking about a crypto wallet is that you can have multiple crypto wallets, right? You don't need to just have one, sort of that you can have like multiple digital identities online, multiple social accounts. So in that context right now, if you're doing something like that, people would probably just create a new crypto wallet to buy that NFT and itself.
0: Got it. Okay, great. So where do you see, I guess, this industry being in the next five or 10 years? I know it's moving so fast and so it's hard to even predict what's going to happen in the next year. But if you were to envision where we'll be in 10 years with all of this, describe that scenario to me.
1: There's something I've been thinking about a lot, the concept, how everyone, so I think the the Reddit GameStop fiasco in the past month is sort of a foreshadowing of what the world may look like in in five to 10 years, right? Where everyone is an investor and investing off memes, right? So if you you follow the train of thought that every every creator or community will have its own token, and you accept that as a belief, and that they'll be giving ownership as almost the you know, means of getting attention as a form of advertising right, and getting people in the community, and then everyone is going to hold some version of crypto tokens in the next five to 10 years. And those are going to have its own price, right? Those things are going to have, those, have their own price, and they're going to be changing very fast, all right? So everyone is going to be an investor, right, in that point, right? So right now, there's probably only, I think there's 13 to 15 million Robinhood traders, uh, like users last time I checked, but I expect there to be about one to two billion uh, crypto traders that are that are you know trading daily because of you know all the different tokens that exist, in these different traders and communities, right? And it, it will get very it will get very volatile. You look at Wild West; everyone's going to be you know seeing all these crypto prices. There's going to be millions of tokens in the, in this context, right? But it, you know investing will start to compete with with gaming in, in a lot of contexts, right? Because no longer will people be like playing games with their friends, with their friends, but they'll be now investing with their friends because they'll be you know investing in their favorite brands and, and creators in itself, right? And you'll see this reemergence of the co-op, right? So people basically pooling their mind together to now invest in things that they want, right? I think investing will become so democratized that there will not be many VCs around anymore, right? People are just going to be trying to get to early and earlier stage deals, like kind of happening right now in the market, and it's going to feel pretty crazy, so. That's the, yeah. That's
0: the that's the five ten year scenario in my head. Wow. I I mean I I can't wait to see you know look back on this in ten years and see if all of that has come true. But if it does, that's pretty crazy. And with this NFT hype right now, do you see this as a bubble that's going to burst, or do you see this like long term? You know, is, is are we at the peak right now, or long term is this just like a small peak, but we're go- going all the way up?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think what I tend to think about, look at is the ratio between the number of NFT creators to collectors. Right now, there's probably much more collectors than there are mentors and creators. But I think they'll reach a point where there's more creators and mentors than there are collectors, right? Because anyone can now issue and create value with NFTs. And that one might take six months, that might take, you know, two years and take five years. Like, I, I don't know that timeline. But until that happens, I think that NFTs are going to be proliferating and it will eat into a lot of uh, social media market share, right? You're kind of already seeing this with Instagram and in some contacts, you're seeing with Twitter, right? But Jack Dorsey selling his NFT the other day with the first tweet. Like there, there's a lot of momentum being built up with NFTs right now that can just eat into the market share of existing social media platforms. So I still think it has a long way to go.
0: What are your thoughts on Jack Dorsey's NFT tweet, by the way? Do you see that as just, you know, do you see that as like actual value and legit? Or do you see that as sort of just like this is getting out of control?
1: It depends, right? Like if, if Twitter is around in, in 50 years, it has a lot of value, right? You're basically betting on the brand value of, of Twitter, of its relevance and kind of this new digital economy in some context. I've I've seen crazier things in NFT, so I think it's I think it has some value in some context, but It's been interesting to see how many people are are just selling their NFTs just as a means of uh, giving ownership to their fans. And I think you'll see that trend continue. I wouldn't be surprised if if Twitter integrated NFTs natively inside of Twitter and being able to just uh, see who owns an NFT on on each individual tweet.
0: Interesting. Interesting. All right. So what's new for Rabbit Hole this upcoming year? Uh, What should people be looking out for?
1: So right now, we're working on uh, our new onboarding and our concept of a university for the internet. So we think of Rabbit Hole as sort of this new age uh, education and university that people can get involved into this new digital economy. We fully believe that, you know, crypto is the future of work, that you'll have, you know, multiple jobs working for multiple crypto networks. And we want to basically be able to educate people for this new, new economy. So just teaching people how to do these different jobs. So you'll be able to build a, a resume through doing transactions. You'll be able to, you know, get an on-chain, uh, ISA or income share agreement for, for doing certain transactions and then basically be able to be, uh, you know, learning these new jobs and these different crypto networks. So. We have a long road ahead here and super early days, but uh, really excited for uh, you know, what we're doing at Rabbit Hole and trying to get more people to realize this is a new digital economy.
0: That was actually the first thing I wanted to talk to you about in our next segment, explain your tweet. So I'm just going to move into that. The first tweet that caught my attention was from February 6th. You tweeted online courses in education will merge with blockchains in the next few years. People will move on to the next level in the course by verifying the completion of a task on chain. The next university is not built in a Slack community, but rather on chain and governed by the students. Explain a little bit more what you mean by this. Uh, And you sort of did already, but take me through, like, you know, in real life, in practice, what is this going to look like for a, a college kid, someone that's going to freshman year of college? Do they go to class? Do they not go to class? Do they have professors? Do they not? Is it just videos? Like, walk me through what day to day looks like.
1: You know, what's interesting about blockchains is that any digital work you do is. Provable and, and verifiable on chain, right? So you can imagine even like taking an online course or even like a Code Academy type course, right? And having your your output or your scores like live on chain with your digital identity, right? If you, if you go to Free Code Camp from Code Academy, Free Code Camp doesn't actually know like what your progress is from Code Academy. Even if you completed three courses, Free, free Code Camp doesn't know that. But what, what's, what's interesting is that, you know, as you move from application to application in, in blockchains, blockchains actually know your progress and they know your skill level going from one to the next, right? So no longer do you need to kind of like build up with what your skill level is, but everyone will just know like what level you are and then your expertise and the individual skill. And this is interesting because now, you know, in these online courses, um, you can have much more tailored content and, and, and uh, educational content Towards like what your particular skill level is, so no longer will you feel this this concept of like oh I need to do the tutorial and and show proof and get through all these things, but it will actually know like what content to serve you at any point in time. They, they can look at your your proof on chain and some capacity, and, and this this kind of you know eats into the university model because now you know you can create these these massive. Uh, online courses and, you know, they can be much more tailored to a specific, a specific student instead of, you know, trying to, you know, go very wide with the content just because it kind of serves everyone's skill level. So I think it, it's like really early days of this and like the rabbit holes of the only people who were working on like on-chain education pieces, but like, you know, it wouldn't surprise me in 10 to 20 years if digital work looked a lot differently and education was now, like you're basically earning while you learn and earning different crypto tokens for proving that you've done certain things, right? And that is the same equivalent of like earning your degree. And so like we'll be probably earning a degree much differently in 10, 20 years. And it's like digital life, right? And it's this digital world and it will just be, it, it will feel a lot like a game in some context, right? So no longer feel like you're learning but it will feel like you're just doing these things because, you know, you get to make money from it right away. And the rewards look a lot different than the current structures where you're now, you know, I think it goes, it goes really deep, but <laughs> I mean, I'm going to stop there. But see, if you have any thoughts? Well,
0: well, my thoughts are, you know, instead of being hundreds of thousands of dollars in the hole, I can actually be making money while I'm getting an education and I don't have to go through the crazy app college application process of, you know, losing sleep over SATs and GPAs and things like that, like I can really just learn and I I don't need a grade to tell me if I've learned it or not. It's verified, you know, I have to learn it to get onto the next stage of the course or the game or however you see the thing.
1: Yeah, exactly. So it'll look a lot different. Yeah, you'd be earning money while you learn. Degrees will be much more standardized to some context as well, right? I think a lot of current students will enjoy this model a lot more, especially given where society is today.
0: Do you see this educational model applying to all majors, all sectors, um, or only like tech, for instance?
1: It's a really good question. And I think it will only apply to this new crypto digital world. Right? I firmly believe that there'll be like, a new types of jobs that emerge with crypto, like I think that you know, being like a creator will become like a crypto job, and being like a curator of just like curating what data is valuable to everyone else will be another job. But like these will be you know jobs you can learn in this new type of university, right? That you'll no that you can go to like a rabble university for, for example. But things in the, in the physical world, you'll you know, you'll still need a real degree. You'll still need to go. You know i think stem as a whole and as a major will always be around right because those are things that you can't replicate or prove on chain in some capacity you actually need to do real physical work to prove those things out
0: right or being a lawyer or something i wonder actually i wonder if you could put law school on this model it's interesting yeah it'd be interesting yeah all right the next tweet that i found that was interesting is uh you tweeted also on February 6th, got busy that day, minting and selling NFTs is the easiest business to start in the world, okay? So we've sort of talked about minting and selling NFTs already, um, but I was wondering if you have any insight or if you've thought about, you know, if you actually were serious about starting an NFT business, what would be some good business practices to implement in terms of, you know, how to set up your business, how to go about marketing it and things like that?
1: What's interesting about NFTs is that you don't need an entity or a bank account to get started, right? All you're doing is essentially putting in an mint, uh, image, minting it, and then selling it to someone else, right? That is a business in itself, right? It is, it is the easiest business to start in the entire world. It's easier than setting up a lemonade stand for most people, right? And, and that's what's like so interesting about it, because now instantly anyone can create their digital economy with you know in less than two to five minutes worth of work, as long as they have you know a crypto wallet. In some cases, so that that's kind of what I meant by that tweet. Um, and so I think you'll see a lot of people starting to explore this, this NFT minting model as a primary means of making money, in the same way that everyone who started to become like a YouTube creator uh, as a means of making money in the past in the past decade.
0: Got it. Got it. Okay, awesome. So tell people a little bit more about who Brian is outside of work and outside of crypto. What are some of your hobbies? What are any cool, interesting facts about you that you want to share?
1: So I'm actually really big into uh, VR fitness. That's it's kind of like my my main hobby. I, I spend too much time indoors. <laughs> so I, I, I'm really into the idea of using technology to help with like, intrinsic motivation for people. And so the concept of VR in itself is like, how can we make games that, that help people for reasons that are not harmful to them in itself, right? And, and so I've been really into just working out in, in VR and really in trying to prove that this is like a really good model for for other people to use, right? And and talking to a lot of people in the industry about how we can use uh, VR as a means of getting people fit. So that, I think that's one thing. I think I also play soccer a lot. I used to play soccer in college. So you get to get out and, and do that uh, every couple of days. Uh, yeah, that's it, To Mo- spending most of my time just exploring and breathing crypto because it, it really does feel like the, you know, early internet stages and it's hard to get away from it. You know, everyone in crypto always makes a joke that like, once you're in crypto, you can never get out because it's all you think about. <laughs>
0: That's I mean, that's so true. I'm still relatively new to the space and I'm already feeling that. So I think that's absolutely true. What are some VR fitness companies or brands or like that people can check out?
1: Beat Saber is one of the most popular VR applications that people use for for fitness. And FitXR is, is another one that I really like that has boxing and dancing. Your Fit is another VR uh, fitness app that's kind of an extension uh, on Oculus, and just basically shows like a competitive leaderboard with your friends and top of on top of different VR games. Um, but those are those are the ones that I personally like.
0: Got it. Okay, cool. And then I've got a couple of just quick, fun, random little questions before we wrap up here. The first one is: I feel like you have something to say about this. If you could go back and redo college, knowing what you know now, what's one thing you would do differently? Drop out. Really. Why do you say that?
1: You, you start to realize how, how little value college gives as a whole. If you you find ways to get your your social connections that university provides, then you can just have that other ways. And the college is way overvalued.
0: Interesting. Well, this is probably why you're friends with David Kabrowski, right? Who we had on the last episode. <laughs> <laughs> we talked a lot about dropping out of college yeah, there. All right. And then second one, if you could have any superpower, what superpower would you want to have?
1: Uh, teleportation.
0: Okay. Pretty standard, but I like it.
1: Yeah, you'll, you'll never be bored in your entire life. You can go wherever you want
0: instantly. That's true. That's true. All right. Awesome. Well, before you go, Brian, tell people where they can find you if they want to connect with you personally, as well as where they can go to learn more about Rabbit Hole and what are some of the, you know, fun and interesting, like easiest things they can do as soon as they sign up on Rabbit Hole.
1: Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at jam, two M's, two M's, um, and you can Rabbit Hole at rabbit hole underscore GG. Uh, the website for Rabbit Hole is rabbithole.tg, and that's where you
0: can sign up. Cool. Thank you so much, Brian. I really appreciate you being on the podcast. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. And we'll be back again soon with another episode of Startup Happy Hour.
1: Thanks for having me, Dana.
0: Thanks for tuning into this episode of Startup Happy Hour. If something we said today resonated with you, please share this episode on social media and continue the conversation with us at startuphappyhourpodcast.com or on our social media channels linked in the show notes. See you next week.